future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is a Monday, October 30th, the eve of Halloween. Yes, here we are. We'll be ripping some masks off tonight, I'll tell you that, that's for sure. Welcome to Raging Chickens, Out to Coop Live. This is Kev Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find us there. And you can support this show becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. And you can also help out the show by checking out our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on and leave a comment to let other people know why you like the show. Little things like this help other folks find the show. Seriously, it makes a difference. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune in to Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your streams. And make sure you subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Go to thericksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. Whoop, yes, indeed. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Ross. Hey, Emily. Good evening. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by this guy, yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on those right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests to go provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. And in case you missed it, The Beacon just launched a new Gen Z-focused and hosted podcast called The Civic Circle. Episodes one and two have already dropped, and episode three is coming at you this week. Check it out. You can get all the podcasts at thebuckscountybeacon.podbean.com, and the Civic Circle is getting its own specific little podcast channel. Yep, I'll let you know all about that. First one is published. Attention all you gamers out there, The Game In, that's with two N's. The Game In is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show. they got everything from retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. Yeah, I said, look, when kids get, they get discounts, when they get A's of the report card. Can you beat that? You can't beat that. I'll tell you, head on over there. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at the Game In. That's with two N's. Got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Dayman. Again, two N's at Song of Dayman on Twitter. Well, on this week's episode, yep. 
We're back at the Fitz Palace, if you will. I'm talking once again with uh, Kirsten Zolfo from Bucks County Indivisible. Republican uh, Representative Brian Fitzpatrick is getting lazy this Halloween, folks. Yep, he's dressing up as a moderate once again. Trick or treat. <laughs> well, we'll let you be the judge. We'll be talking about Kirsten's new article in the Bucks County Beacon. Representative Brian Fitzpatrick's support for new House Speaker Mike Johnson shows voters who he really is. And indeed he does. In that piece, Kirsten writes about how Fitzpatrick is selling the new Republican Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, to the so-called moderate Problem Solvers Caucus and the big donors tied to no labels. Fitzpatrick wants the length, uh, went to lengths to help rebrand Johnson as a Reagan Republican and tried to lend some of his moderate vibes to Johnson, who we all know is a MAGA extremist. Seems like the time that we need to review a little bit of Fitzpatrick's record on things like, I don't know, the environment, the election, social security, you know, abortion rights. Let's, we'll be talking a little bit about that this evening. Now, Kirsten Solfo is a resident of Bucks County and a volunteer organizer with Indivisible Bucks, Indivisible Bucks County. She also serves on the steering committee of Pennsylvania Indivisible as the legislative chair. And in that position, edits and contributes to the Pennsylvania Member of Congress tracking report, an effort that keeps an eye on the votes and quotes from the Commonwealth's 20 members of Congress. Kirsten is originally from New Jersey, but moved to PA when she was an undergrad at Franklin and Marshall College out there in Lancaster. And you know what? She loved it so much, she stuck around the area ever since. Right? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We're fighting the good fight. Well, welcome to the show, Kirsten. I'm so glad to have you back. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's such a pleasure to be back. Uh, and happy mischief night to you, since you noted my Jersey roots. It's, it's a special night for us. <laughs> Indeed. You know, I had a student that was kind of like uh, sent around this thing, was like a meme of like, okay, what did you call mischief night? Did you call it toilet paper night? Did you call it the wax? egg night or do you call it this like like apparently it's a big jersey thing where you live it's that's what you call it very so, much so <laughs> <laughs> but uh this this has certainly been a month for mischief actually uh in in the house of representatives and it's such a pleasure to be able to come here and talk to you about it because what we are seeing is truly unprecedented and it's something that we we as voters all need to dig into and know more about yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I ever imagined that I that I would I get to a point in my life when I think the word unprecedented would start to lose its meaning, right? Yeah, right. Because, <laughs> right. I mean, because of absolutely how devastating that the the attacks that have been, the the breaking of all like norms and laws and really disruptive the very kind of roots of our democratic traditions. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty insane. It's, it's pretty disconcerting. Insane. That is for sure. Yeah. So, so this latest, you know, I mean, we saw this, I think, you know, uh, I mean, of course things have been chaotic for, for a long time now. Right. Yes. Um, we'll just leave it at that. I mean, as someone as you know, we talked a little bit before the show, who's been, you know, my kids are in the Penridge school district, you know, we're in Bucks County where we're the center of kind of attacks um, from the extreme right. We know what chaos looks like and how it disrupts the lives of our institutions and our schools. But we got a national window into this kind of Republican dominated chaos um, with this Speaker of the House fight. Certainly right? did. Um, and it was just, I, I mean, literally, I, this is probably one of the few times I could say I almost like threw up my hands at some point. It's like, cause like, there's nothing, what are you going to do in this situation? You know, like these people are just all hell bent on destruction. 
um, in a hellbent of destruction. They couldn't get, you know, and again, the mainstream media said they couldn't get their own act together. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's even the right read. I think you have some people that would like to burn everything down, right? It certainly feels that way. Yes. Yeah. Right. So this whole scenario started for me in a really weird way, which was a telephone call from my mother. (laughs) which sounds peculiar, but I don't tend to watch the Sunday shows. And right after Matt Gates, uh, you know, initiated the process to oust Kevin McCarthy that weekend, I get a call from my mom saying, Kirsten, Matt Gates was just on meet the press. And he just said that Brian Fitzpatrick is going to support Jim Jordan for speaker. And my initial reaction was like, what? And it was also, my mom just scooped me? What now? (laughs) But I was kind of shocked, you know, had to go find the video for myself to see it. And I was startled to see that is indeed what Matt Gates said on Meet the Press. And that followed a couple of weeks, well, not entirely weeks, sorry, a couple of days. Time is a circle. (laughs) A couple of days of a lot of activists calling into Fitzpatrick's office saying like, is this true like is he truly going to support jim jordan and you know in typical fitzpatrick fashion they won't tell you when you call they just say the the congressman has not issued a statement but we did find out he did indeed vote for conservative freedom caucus founding member jim jordan not just once but twice and so it was a sign of how chaotic things were going to become that someone with fitzpatrick's profile would think that it was a-okay to link himself to a congressman that a republican speaker of the house had once called a legislative terrorist john boehner called him that so that was the start of this chaos. And well, you know, even even if we get we get beyond the kind of like the politician in um, Jordan. Right. I mean, the fact that the guy protected sexual predators. It's disgusting. Right? I mean, that alone. I mean, for me, for, that's what surprised me, I think, even more than how extreme Jordan is. Right. How like key Jordan was to hit, you know, the election denialism and all this other kinds of stuff. The fact that Fitzpatrick would vote twice to support a guy who protected sexual predators, that blew my mind. Yeah, it it feels off brand for someone who talks about their law enforcement background so much, but it goes to show that for Fitzpatrick, the party matters more than those, you know, those cues that you would think would be big moral decisions for him. And he he failed us on that. That's for sure. <laughs> so here he is. You know, he starts off with this is, you know, again, the, the chaos was just never ending in terms of like trying to find out somebody or somebody that the Republicans would vote for themselves like, to stay in mm-hmm. power. So first we get this, you know, with what well, wasn't first with uh, with uh, um, uh, with was, Jordan. Yeah, it was Scalise first and then it was Jordan. Yep. And then it was Tom Emmer for, I think, three hours. What like you know one one thirty third of a Scaramucci like what, what I don't even know what yeah right he's like that. yeah he was yeah he he was a nominee for drive time yeah I think that's what it was drive time like AM radio I think it's what it was and and then they landed on this Mike Johnson guy who you know I was one of the many people in the world who joined Susan Collins in the thought that like oh I need to Google this guy because I have no yes. idea who he is. 
And uh, as you start digging in, he he's a scary, scary man. And well, we, we've seen now that this guy has got ties to the Christian right. He's got, you know, he seems to hold like belief systems that are, are consistent with Christian nationalism, whether or not he calls himself this an adherent. Indeed. But it's certainly the language. Um, you know, he, he gave an interview to Fox, uh, to Fox News the other day. And basically they said, people want to know what I believe, like read the Bible, right? The Bible is what I believe. So I mean, this guy and 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 issue after he was one of the legislative uh, um, you know brain trust behind uh, the election denialism trying to kind yes. of construct a legal argument. So 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 take us through this kind of this final fight as it relates to Fitzpatrick because Johnson, as reporting started to focus on him, as reporters started to dig into this guy, became pretty clear pretty quickly that this guy was not just a you know. I don't know, milk toast place filler for the short term, um, but rather was somebody that was was supported by the far right. So take us through that. Sure. So what I found interesting about this whole process was that it does seem that exhaustion drove the Republican Party on this, that every single Republican, whether they were a Freedom Caucus member or as uh, the folks on the bulwark called them, the normies. <laughs> or these problem solvers, guys like Fitzpatrick, they all just lined up behind Johnson. Um, yep. Fitzpatrick's justification at the time was we can't keep the lights out forever. But I mean, that's not really a, a profile in leadership there. And I think what is most telling about it is the very day that this vote came down that made a Johnson speaker, it was not five hours later that Fitzpatrick hopped on a telephone call with his friends at No Labels uh, to talk about Johnson. Now, to step back a second, we those yeah. of us who watch Brian Fitzpatrick, we hear him use the phrase Problem Solvers Caucus all the time. It almost has lost meaning. It's just like disjointed syllables. But the Problem Solvers Caucus is a group of lawmakers in Congress. Uh, there are equal numbers of Democrats and Republicans. And uh, they have some rules about the, the way that they support bills and initiatives. It's They promote themselves as being the only group where the two parties actively talk policy. Whether that's true or not, who knows? But what's key to know about the Problem Solvers Caucus is it is not an organic entity. It was actually created by another organization. And that organization is No Labels. No Labels is this group of former political operatives who no longer have homes in the two political parties. <laughs> uh, it is mostly Republicans, so there are some that that are had worked for Democrats. Um, and they solicit a lot of money from billionaires. Um, you may have seen that uh, the infamous Harlan Crow, who loves to funnel money to Supreme Court Justice mm -hmm. Clarence Thomas, he's a big no-labels donor, but, but lots and lots of moneyed interests. And what they do is they go after people who are disaffected by the two-party system and who want to try to find a middle way between. So you're, you're talking about disaffected centrists. Um, and what... So they came up with the idea of the Problem Solvers Caucus, and Brian Fitzpatrick was one of the first members and is now a co-chair of that group. So he receives a lot of donations from uh, the No Labels crew, but also from their individual members. 
And if we can flash back to, I believe it's 2018, there's a wonderful article in The Intercept where they got a, a recording of donors talking about, oh, well, we we just sent $500,000 to Fitzpatrick in the last two weeks. Like he gets a lot <laughs> of money from this group. Yeah. So yeah. within five hours of this new speaker that none of us had ever heard of being elected, Brian Fitzpatrick ha- is on a call with his no labels donors and group members talking about Mike Johnson. And what he is doing is he is selling Mike Johnson to them. And what he says is, he is not a Trump Republican. He is a Reagan Republican. That's the quote. And it's in a Politico article. Um, And what he goes on to do is try to take some of the, what we know as a faux moderate shine that Fitzpatrick Mm -hmm. has, particularly with this audience, and tries to reflect it onto Johnson. And goes forth and sells Johnson to this group of people. Now, we can say what we will about no labels. I have opinions about no labels and they're not always positive. But the fact is these people are not inherently Trumpists. They're not inherently the furthest to the right. So Fitzpatrick was selling these people on the idea that Mike Johnson could be someone they could work with. And if you think about it in light of the views that we're now seeing that Mike Johnson espouses, that's really a betrayal of a number of groups of people, not just his constituents here in PA01, but like large swaths of this country. 100%. And I think that, you know, uh, we were talking a little bit about this before uh, before the show is like, you know, I think about no labels as kind of, you want to get back to the kind of, you know, the good old days of Republicanism when we just had to worry about corporate profits, union busting mm-hmm. and deregulation, right? And shipping yeah. our jobs overseas, <laughs> right? Let's get back to those days, right? Well, we didn't have to deal with all, you know, we'll deal with the culture wars and kind of like underneath a little bit more quietly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and let that, let that work its way over there. And not so much up in front. Um, so, you know, in, in so many, those are those people right though that's yep. the money that, that behind the and group. The, mm-hmm. yes and so that and, and, and what i found fascinating about that quote was exactly you know exactly what you said, is like when we see here like, like they're not reagan republicans you know you got a good chunk of the like, the electorate right now who like reagan you know they didn't live during reagan right you know they right. they weren't alive he was more kind of like a story about a politician like a former u.s president in the past he's a historical figure so he's really talking to those people who were sold into a particular brand of free market republicanism right unbridled free trade you know capitalist expansionism, union busting, all that kind of stuff um, during the Reagan thing. And, and now those folks have got a lot of money, right? And Fitzpatrick seems to basically want to be making sure that they're going to stay on board and stay the course, right? And not defect and support this guy. Exactly. Right? Because when you look at the role of a speaker, one of, while we think of it, you know, those of us who watch politics are looking at it from the perspective of, oh, they're the ones who set the schedule on the floor. They decide on what bills come to the floor. You know, they run the show. But the fact is, is that a speaker of the house has a massive fundraising responsibility to the members of their party. And that is one of the things that Kevin McCarthy could do that someone who has no profile like Mike Johnson doesn't really have a skin in the game to be able to raise that kind of funding. And so Brian Fitzpatrick, who does do a really good job of raising money, was basically giving him a nice big bear hug filled with cash in in bringing his name in a positive light to this group of no label stoners. And yeah, they are the perfect, well, when I say perfect people, I'm putting that in the biggest air quotes possible, but they are the audience that would have the fondest feelings for Reagan because 
let's be real. These aren't young people (laughs) who are on this call. This is not a call of young progressive activists. This is 70 year old millionaire donors who are on this call. And 100%. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, just that Brian Fitzpatrick has no compunctions at all in taking a person who holds, as he himself admits, some different views and saying, here, have at it. He's my guy now. Why don't you help him too? And that's, that's really kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, and, and again, you know, because, because we've talked about on this show before with you about, you know, how much uh, like Brian Fitzpatrick is so invested in the brand, in the Fitzpatrick brand, right. About mm-hmm. this moderate label. And, but we've seen this record again and again and again, which we're going to get into uh, just, just in a minute um, over and over again about, the, about his kind of reputation. And so it seems like, you know, again, off brand to just say, well, oh, the reason that we're going to support this guy is because we're tired. Right. right I, we're just tired. We're just tired. <laughs> <laughs> so we just we just picked we just reached into a hat and came up with this guy. We didn't even know who he was. We just had to turn just, the lights okay. on. <laughs> right, right, right. Such right. Just somebody people, leadership, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, he passed he passed the test. We said, Can you turn the lights on? He flipped the switch. They went on, okay, all right, you're a guy. Because we're tired, right? So you know, it's like that again is Fitzpatrick is supposed to be you know serious and blah 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 blah. But in this piece that you just wrote for the Bucks County Beacon, uh, uh, Representative Brian Fitzpatrick's support for new House Speaker Mike Johnson shows voters who he really is. You walk through um, a series of issues um, as both kind of like, as I read it at least, a reminder of who Fitzpatrick actually is, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But also what he has now just enabled by helping Johnson become the Speaker. Yes. Because these are all things that Johnson is now going to, you know, be able to set an agenda um, to go after these things. So why don't you walk us through some of those things that um, you talked about in the there? We can start with the kind of one that's front and center since we got an election coming up in just a week, <laughs> right, eight <laughs> days from now. Um, and then we're going to hit the 2024 election seriously. Right, We can start right with the big lie in the 2020 election. Sure. So... What's important to know about Mike Johnson and the 2020 election is that Mike Johnson is one of the architects of the House's uh, big lie actions. And what I mean by that is uh, Johnson conceives of himself as a constitutional scholar. And so while the Trump campaign was pursuing all of their various legal options, one of the things that Mike Johnson did was he authored an amicus brief. So that's one like If a case is in court, uh, anyone who is not party to the case but could be impacted by it has the right to write a brief in support of one of the positions. And so on behalf of the Republicans in the House of Representatives, Mike Johnson is the one who wrote the brief that supported Texas's efforts to discount the votes of various states, including our own here in Pennsylvania. So it wasn't just that he was like, yeah, and did talking points related to the big lie, though he did do that. (laughs) He wrote this brief, and then he solicited all of the Republicans in Congress to sign on. Not all of them did. Fitzpatrick didn't, for what it's worth. But he was out there garnering support for this action. And on top of that, he was also citing the Dominion lies. There's some some video floating around, you can find it on uh, Twitter, of... Mike Johnson just promoting how bad the Dominion machines were and that they flipped votes and that it's all inappropriate and should be discounted. So this man is fully on board with the big lie. 
And if we look at that as compared to what Fitzpatrick did, Fitzpatrick likes to say now, he's like, oh, I accept Joe Biden as my president. But the fact is, is that it wasn't always the case. So right mm-hmm. after the 2020 election, which if I'm remembering my dates was November 3rd, on November 7th of 2020, all of the Republican Congress people from Pennsylvania got together and wrote a letter and they sent it over to the then Governor Wolf and then Secretary of State Bookbar. And it basically went through a whole bunch of election lies. Um, It was, I'm trying to remember some of the quotes from it. So like they're deeply concerned about irregularities and that uh, partisan actors were putting their thumb on the scale. I mean, it, it just basically was like, Something shady's going on, but we're not enumerating what it is, but we feel very bad about this. And Fitzpatrick signed on to it. So he definitely took a step towards election denying there. Then he basically goes MIA between November 7th and December 15th. You don't this is my get favorite part of the story. Anything <laughs> from him at all. <laughs> Nothing. Which is on brand for Fitzpatrick. He does avoid the media where he can, particularly local media. And it wasn't until, and think about how stressful that time period was in 2020. I mean, we were holding events to make sure the votes were getting counted. Everybody was worried. Fitzpatrick goes MIA and it isn't until the 15th of December that he refers to Joe Biden as a president elect, but then goes on to defend Trump's right to participate in all the lawsuits that he was in the midst of. So Brian Fitzpatrick wasn't 100% on supporting the results of the 2020 election, but he still is a little distance away from what Johnson was doing. And yet, one of the things that gets said in the Politico article, if you'll forgive me for just a moment while I pull up the exact quote, because I don't want to- No, please, please, please. Yeah, I don't want to misrepresent it, but he says to this, this crew of no labels that- Mike Johnson might not do the same thing today in terms of the election. Here's the thing. Any of you who who have been watching the news have seen a clip that shows Mike Johnson flanked by members of the Republican caucus. And when he's asked about the big lie, everybody starts booing and you have that 80 year old from, from Virginia yelling shut shut up up and stuff like, guess what? He still stands by that today. Yeah. (laughs) So Brian Fitzpatrick was flat out lying right there. And then let's put it into the perspective of the Reagan Republicans, which is what Fitzpatrick claims. I'm not a big fan of Reagan, but let's be real. In the 80s, when it was democracy versus communism, pretty sure, and democracy versus authoritarianism, pretty sure Reagan fell on the side of democracy. Just saying. I don't think he would have been a proponent of the big lie. (laughs) So it it just feels really, really gross that Brian Fitzpatrick is trying to whitewash that kind of record. Because if you remember back at the beginning of this House speaker chaos, one of the things that the the quote unquote moderates were saying is they didn't want to support anyone who participated in the big lie. But you know what? They folded. Because we don't just have a participant. We have an architect. Yep. And then, and then again, just as a reminder, that this is the guy that Fitzpatrick helped sell to no labels um, to make sure that they got behind this guy. Exactly. So help not only just like have some differences, but actually helped enable this election. And enable the donations. Right. Exactly. Um, So, but it doesn't stop there, right? The good news doesn't stop there. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, I mean, the other, obviously, what we saw, one of the kind of, kind of you know, the probably one of the most earth shaking and fundamental consequences of Trump's election, right. Um, was, uh, what happened with the Supreme court and then the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Yes. Right. Um, and so abortion, and of course, as you know, the story goes, I don't need to rehash the entire, like the history of that, but because of that, right, we've actually seen kind of mobilization, like we hadn't kind of seen kind of in ages. Right. And now like we've obviously Republican states who've gone after kind of abortion, like one after the other. And for a long time, there's the Republicans say, well, look, we just want states to be able to kind of do whatever they're going to do. And of course, Fitzpatrick has kind of like been an interesting character on kind of abortion. So where do we stand? What happens here with the, on the questions of abortion? Sure. So I feel like I have to outline where Fitzpatrick is on abortion because he tries yeah. to present himself as in all other things as moderate. He is not a moderate. Brian Fitzpatrick is an anti-abortion zealot. So let me just run down some of the things that he's done. He has voted for a 20-week abortion ban. He has said he supports a 15-week abortion ban. Uh, he has voted for budgets that have defunded Planned Parenthood. He has voted for bills that grant legal rights to fetuses. Uh, he's participated in these uh, really, really dramatic, like, we're going to sign a discharge petition and everybody takes to the floor to try to get this bill on the floor. And it's this bill called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Act, I think. It basically says that murder is a crime, which I don't know about you all, but I'm pretty sure that murder's already a crime that's on the books. <laughs> I, um, I, I just, I heard that from somebody once. Yeah, but, I, you know. just you know, it's not just, a, maybe it's not a legal, we'll not. legal constitution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the other thing is Brian Fitzpatrick supports uh, crisis pregnancy centers, which are those um, offices that pretend that they provide abortions to bring in women who are pregnant and are seeking abortions, but then do everything in their power to convince them not to have abortions. He has fundraised with them. Uh, he's tweeted about it in the past. So, Brian Fitzpatrick is not a moderate on abortion. He is anti-choice. And the fact is, so is Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson has said some really awful things related to abortion. Uh, he thinks that doctors who perform abortions should be uh, penalized with hard labor. Um, he thinks that there should be a heartbeat bill, which we all know it's not heartbeat, it's electrical activity in the... I know I'm preaching to the choir on that, but uh, he he is about as um, Christian fundamentalist when it comes to abortion as you could possibly imagine. Um, and he does not believe in rape and incest uh, exceptions, which is for me the big kicker when it comes to calling him a Reagan Republican. Reagan is the governor who signed into law in California the rape and incest exceptions to their abortion laws in the 60s. Right. So, like, could not be further from where Reagan was. But, you know, Brian Fitzpatrick decided to lie to, to us and to his donors, and that's how he is selling this fellow anti-choice zealot. It's incredible. And now this guy's going to have, you know, control over which bills come forward. And this uh, yeah. on Johnson is, uh, and the reporting that I've been seeing is like, you know, he's all behind a national abortion ban, getting that national abortion ban out there. And, you know, and let's be clear is that, you know, I know I've, I've had some, let's say, discussions, disagreements with some folks that say, well, OK, he might be able to put those bills out there on the floor. And I, I hate this argument. I'll be clear from the beginning, like put those bills out there on the floor, but they're not going to go anywhere because Joe Biden or they don't go to the Senate or something like this. But I'll tell you what they do. 
right, is that they become mobilizing like machines for the far right. They do. Right? They so you can put a bill a out there. Totally. And you can put a bill out there. And even if Johnson puts that bill out there, right, and then they're, they're going to vote on it, and they're going to talk about it, and they're going to be pushing it. And even if that doesn't have a prayer, right, um, to be passed, say, in the next session, while Biden is still president, and the Democrats still control the Senate, right, even if it doesn't, you've just basically made that an issue and staked the ground upon what the 2024 election is going to be about. Right. And it's going to be a mobilization effort kind of around this stuff. And it's a way of kind of flooding, flooding the field with tons and tons of money uh, of these anti-abortion zealots. Right. So. Agreed. Um, yeah. I have two comments about that that are a little bit disparate. One is. Yeah. Let's just have a moment to thank the fact that like Senator Casey has come to his senses on abortion, because at least yes. we have like. Uh, yeah, let's clap for that because yep. Casey's up next year, but also because it means that there's one less anti-choice voice in the Senate, and we know we have him on our side for that. So it's not that such a bill would pass the Senate, um, but it, I, yeah, I don't want it to, I don't want it to have to come up for a vote. Um, right. Agreed. The other thing, though, is we have to think about Fitzpatrick's primary when it comes to abortion-related issues because. Brian Fitzpatrick is facing a primary contender that might have more legs than previous ones in the past have had. Uh, he's an, a fellow anti-choice zealot who has a, a bit of national cred amongst um, Catholic organizations and pro-life organizations. Because if I'm remembering correctly, he was arrested for harassing someone outside of a, of a abortion clinic, but then got acquitted for it. So he's become a bit of a, a like folk hero for that crew of people who harass folks outside of abortion clinics. Um, so Brian Fitzpatrick has to go maximalist on his abortion stance if he wants to have any, you know, chance against this guy in the primary. Mm -hmm. uh, and it sounds like um, this person, I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's either Matt Hawk or Hawk. Um, has some support mm -hmm. within the Freedom Caucus members in Congress who he claims uh, encouraged him to run. So I have to imagine that um, regardless of what we want, abortion is going to be a major issue in the coming 2024 primary here, the Republican primary in particular. And Fitzpatrick has to run hard right on it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But you know what? He's doing a good job running hard right by embracing Mike Johnson as speaker because Mike Johnson does hold the maximalist anti-choice zealot position. 100%. Let's get on to ACA, Social Security and Medical Care, uh, Medicare, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just, again, gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yes. So this is a brace yourself. I'm not going to completely and utterly savage Brian Fitzpatrick on this one. It is an area where he isn't the absolute worst Republican on earth. Uh, we do have to give him a little bit of credit back in 2017. He was one of the few Republicans who placed a vote against the Republican repeal and replace plan of Paul Ryan and Trump. So like let, that's related to the ACA. And he does have claims on his website that he'll do what he can to protect Medicare and Medicaid uh, and, and social security. Unless he gets tired, of course. And right. then, well, um, yeah. we just got to take what's you know, on the We've got to turn the lights on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I have to put that up front because- no, it's you fair. Know, it, 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 he's not the worst. That said, there are some cognitive dissonances in the votes that he's taken in the past and certain things that he support that would endanger social safety net programs 
And it's as if he doesn't recognize that that's the case. So what I the case that I make in the article that I did for the Beacon had to do with uh, Brian Fitzpatrick's support for a balanced budget amendment. So I have to say, every sing- he's been in Congress now for four terms. The first day of his terms, he always like ostentatiously drops this clean government package, and he you know he does all of his press releases around it, and it's like oh. Uh, a voter voter signature match is one of the things that he supports and but one of them is a balanced budget amendment and the if you'll excuse me for one sec i just want to pull up the name of the organization it is the center on budget and policy priorities they had an article called why a balanced budget amendment would harm social security and federal deposit insurance and they go on to explain how the way that balanced budget amendments have been crafted it would make it impossible for these programs like Social Security to use their reserves to pay out when um, funding is uneven. Because, you know, like tax receipts can change from year to year. And that's the reason why there is a reserve fund is to make sure that everybody continues to get paid. And basically, Brian Fitzpatrick supports a constitutional amendment that would destabilize Social Security. And doesn't seem to recognize this at all. Um, and then we can also look at the fact that for all that he has been supportive, at least verbally, of Social Security and uh, and Medicare, he has taken actions to nibble away at the ACA and to nibble away at government-run insurance programs. So like, like the veterans, the way that veterans get their health care. Uh, things like getting rid of taxes that were supposed to fund those programs or diverting funds from one program into chip, just moving things around in a way that does not create stability for our social safety net. Um, now, if we compare that to where new House Speaker Mike Johnson is, he has made it very clear that he would like to cut trillions out of entitlement programs. So That's with a T, everybody. Trillions, with a T. yes. So regardless of what Brian Fitzpatrick says about wanting to support these social safety net programs, he's backing a guy who has made it his mission to get rid of those programs. So what does that say about Fitzpatrick's defense of them and his promises to his voters that he he wants to support them? Like, he he's made a liar of himself. 100%. And I think that, you know, I was so it was I was I thought it was such a smart move in this piece that you wrote where you're talking about uh, with a focus on the balance, balance budget amendment, because, you know, in some ways it also points to like a different mode of doing kind of like kind of right wing politics. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. there was, you know, those folks who came out of kind of like the Newt Gingrich people and, you know, and that whole thing, they had a whole team of folks around there. Like, um, you know, I'm just, I'm spacing names at this point, but okay. you know, these right, uh, you know, these, uh, these, these right wing operatives and which said, okay, what we're going to do is that we're just going to, we're not going to go directly after entitlements, right? We're not going to go directly after our social, social social safety net. We're going to go after, say, a balanced budget amendment, mm-hmm. right? Because a balanced budget amendment sounds like, you know, like everybody can get behind, right? It's the kind of thing, oh, balanced budget, of course. Who's against a balanced budget, right? Um, and it's only when you actually look at what are the implications of that for all those programs that so many people rely upon it. And it's exactly as you said, it's a way of bleeding it dry, right? And it was the, it's the kind of like two-step that Fitzpatrick does all the time, right? Exactly. It's like having your cake and eating it too. 
right? It's being able to say, hey, look, it was for a balanced budget, but really, but I'm and so people say, oh yeah, you know what? He's a good guy. He wants to stand up for a balanced budget. That's good. And the vote necessarily, and they don't realize that in casting that vote, right, in support of Brian Fitzpatrick and support of this balanced budget um, amendment, then what they're doing is they're undercutting those very things that they depend upon. It's exactly. it's really an underhanded way of conducting politics. It, you're right. And it's the way that they've made everyone scared of the idea of debt ceilings and deficits. Not saying that they're good things, but they don't have to be the number one fear. There are greater problems. But if you make them the number one fear, then you make people ready to cut programs that they actually would rely on in the name of cutting deficits and debts. So yeah, it just the, there's definitely an intellectual inconsistency there. Is mm-hmm. is that a nice way to put it? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's as diplomatic as I'd ever get. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, he he very clearly does not have at the for he. How do I put this? He would not make it such a centerpiece of his congressional action to introduce these bills the first day of his term if he wasn't serious about promoting them. And in doing so, it damages the very programs that the people who support him rely on. So that's where we stand with that. Yeah. And I'm not somebody who thinks that like that, you know, I'm not somebody who's going to say, well, maybe he, he just doesn't realize it or maybe he's not that smart. No, no, no. No, he's, you know, a he's, he's a smart guy. He's a CPA. He's a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, and again, so there's our social safety net. And then we've got probably the biggest crisis that we face we've ever faced, right, is the, like, climate change. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, this is we, you see this again. Fitzpatrick gets comes out and gets his support. He gets these like, you know, big signs from environmental organizations. We support Fitzpatrick and all things. And for the record, I'm not asking you to go here with me on this one. But like for me, that has just turned my freaking stomach every time I see those things. Yeah. It's turned my stomach when I see it from PSEA. Right. And I'm a labor guy, like an educational labor guy. But I mean, to get behind him on the, those questions are just absolutely despicable. But when the environment is like, we can't afford nonsense here. Um, and yet here we go once again with the same kind of two-step. So I actually, I had very mixed feelings with about Fitzpatrick and the environment for a while. And it had been a good like eight or nine months since I had looked into his record on it. And I was kind of shocked to see he's actually made quite the turn in a bad direction on the environment. Yes, so exactly. He has always run as like this green green Republican is how he tried to portray himself. Like he, he, if I'm remembering correctly, he supported carbon exchange at one point. Like he's, he's not the worst and he's certainly not a climate denialist, but that, so he was getting from league of conservation voters some pretty good ratings in his first couple of years in Congress. He he had passing like B and C grades from them, which would have been the best Republican grade given by far. I actually say this is the first time I have ever written a letter to uh, Fitzpatrick, right? The first time that I wrote, um, I wrote a kind of email to him and it was generally after one of these, these town hall things that he does is right, right after in that first, in his first term. And uh, a lot of the discussion was around the environment. And I had to say, I was taken back because I was like, okay, this is actually, this is not bad. And actually 
wrote a letter because I think it's just, this is important, right? Also, you're yeah. lobbying also the other side, you know, in my case. And so, but to say like, you know, look, I really appreciate what you're talking about here in terms of climate and kind of environment. Um, and because this is actually, you know, really kind of critical and blah, blah, blah. I just want to thank to have actually a real conversation about that, that just didn't fall off into these ideological po polarities. And that was, you know, trying to be, you know, I think I did something, something yeah. pretty similar in his first year in office, because one of the things mm -hmm. that Indivisible tells us is that it is important to re when you have a, a lawmaker who's of a different party than you, it is important to reinforce when they're doing things that you support. So I'm pretty sure I did the same thing in the beginning. The mm -hmm. problem is Fitzpatrick is really even when he was getting the good grades from legal conservation voters, he was really inconstant on the issue. And the perfect example of that is drilling in the Arctic, because yeah. So when he ran 2016 against drilling, 2017 comes around, he's new in Congress, he supports a bill that would forbid drilling in the Arctic. But then the Trump tax cuts come along and he votes to enable the drilling because that was one of the things that was built into that massive bill. He thought the tax cuts were more important than stopping drilling. But then the next year comes around and once again, he's back to saying he doesn't want drilling anymore. And it's just, this is emblematic of him where he goes back and forth and back and forth. But the fact is, is if you start digging into his record, even in those years where he was doing well, he still would prioritize business deregulation over the environment. So there's bills having to do with pipelines where he wanted to like, you know, the whole Republican cut the red tape kind of thing. But it it was going to enable nearly permitless drilling like it was ridiculous. Um, there was also some some hydropower bills where it was. The bill had language in it that would enable political appointees to make decisions instead of EPA folks, and he was fine with that. So, like, it's not that he was great on the environment, but he was the best Republican out there on it, I guess. Fact is, that's changed. Uh, when I went to go look at the League of Conservation voter scores uh, lately, he's failing. The last two years, he, he got Fs both years. Um, he was just under 61, I think 57 and 53. So he is taking a downward trend in a big way. And I mean, it's par for the course with what we've seen out of him these last right. couple of years. He has been trending right. And that means he is, it, it's emblematic of him turning his back on the environment. Now, the one thing that he does have in common with Mike Johnson, Mike Johnson has a 2% rating from League of Conservation Voters. I mean, this man is awful, which, you know, right. Louisiana does have a lot of fossil fuel industry down there. Um, you also have the fact that Mike Johnson is a climate denialist. Um, he has said, let me find that quote exactly. Once again, I don't want to misrepresent him. Uh, doo -doo -doo. Sorry, bear with me one second. Um, he basically said that he wasn't sure whether it was going to be the coal industry or, uh, SUVs or whether it was like some environmental cycle that was causing the, the planet's warming. So like this guy is not going to do anything to help the climate crisis. And Brian Fitzpatrick is entirely okay with that because he's given him a big bear hug. Yep. Yep. And it's like, and it's at a time when, like, like you said, we, I mean, we absolutely cannot be pausing on this and to see that downward trajectory. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that we hear again and again about Bucks County. Um, we hear again and again about the PA, the PA first is that it is this purple area, right? It is this one yeah. that, you know, people are not kind of like 
overall, right? Not kind of like extremists, right? In this whole, you've got very loud extremists, right? Who are well organized and mobilizing here. Um, and Brian Fitzpatrick seems to be following them, right? As opposed to steering this kind of more moderate course. So as he's doing this, whether it's on kind of abortion, whether it's on environmental rights, whether it's, you know, you, right down the list, right? He's tacking with the Republican Party down this kind of more extreme um, mode. And that is just basically potentially leaving voters here completely behind. And it seems to be there's also an opening there to kind of take this guy out. I would agree. And you know, the other topic- Electorally speaking, yes. just want to be very Understood. clear about what I'm saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> just yes, 100%. But yes, you know, sorry. the other topic yes. where he's doing that exact same thing is on LGBTQ plus issues. Because in the past, he was commended for his votes for the Equality Act. He did that, you know, obviously when Democrats were in charge, that kind of bill would never come up in a Republican Congress. So in 2019 and 2021, he voted for the Equality Act. I think I have those years right. But more recently, with the Republicans back in charge again, they put forth earlier this year that parental bill of rights. And again, I'm putting that in quotes. It was not so much that as it was a bill that would enable book bans and that would further endanger LGBTQ plus youth in our schools because we know that they and and diverse populations are the ones who are mostly targeted by those bans. Ryan Fitzpatrick supported that. He voted for yep. that bill. So much like the environment where he had a decent record in the past, but has taken quite the U-turn lately, he's doing the same thing with LGBTQ rights. And Mike Johnson is perhaps at his most extreme when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community. The things that he has said about them are horrifying. I don't even really want to report them, I, I repeat mm -hmm. them because I, I don't want to add to that pain. But this man is a zealot. He is a bigot. And Brian Fitzpatrick seems A-OK -okay with that. Yep. I mean, once you give your kind of uh, your credentials, you know, again, and, and a vote is one thing that's bad enough. But then when you start kind of lobbying people with money to send the open the floodgates and support Fitzpatrick or support Johnson as a Speaker of the House by going to your new labels buddies and go to those donors, um, you are not somebody who is just kind of like casting a vote, right? You are somebody who is enabling this most extreme trajectory of the Republican exactly. Party. Exactly. It, it's, the, it's the difference between like inviting someone into your house to have a conversation or inviting someone into your house and all of your friends and hosting a party for them. Like Brian Fitzpatrick just hosted a party for Mike Johnson. He didn't just have a conversation with him. And it, it's, it's offensive. It's scary. And Bucks County voters need to know this because I know we've, we've dug into numbers sometimes in the past. I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to split ticket voting, but I, I have to go here. So let's look at that 2022 election. Uh, Brian Fitzpatrick beat Ashley Ehaz by about 35,000 votes. 24,000 of those votes were people who voted for both John Fetterman and Brian Fitzpatrick. I want you to think about that because there aren't a lot of Republicans out there who are voting for John Fetterman. Correct. If you voted for John Fetterman, that means you are an ally of mine. You are an ally of Kevin's. You are someone who shares at least some of a worldview with us. And yet you still chose to vote for Brian Fitzpatrick, 24,000 of you. Probably because this 
message he puts out about bipartisanship and moderation, it's attractive to people. Don't get me wrong. It was attractive to me. I used to be a no labels person back in 2013. I leave the Facebook reminder up on my page every year so I can remind myself that I was taken in by that. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't look deeper. (laughs) So those people are the ones, those 24,000 people need to hear this message. And it's so important for folks who are allies of ours to talk to our friends and neighbors about these things, because there are a lot of people who believe Brian Fitzpatrick's press team when they call him bipartisan and moderate all the time. But the fact is we can show that that is no longer the case. Yeah. And I, I, this is where I encourage people to get definitely go and check out this article in the Bucks County Beacon uh, from Kirsten um, and, you know, go through because this is what she does. She lays it out. Like here's point by point um, and you get to see some of these quotes. Right. And I know one of the most difficult things to do, right. Is somehow is to do talking with friends and neighbors and family members and stuff about someone like Brian Fitzpatrick, who seems on the surface surface has got a great PR strategy, right. Who sounds like hits all the right buttons in terms of with the soup, uh, like on the superficial level, but here's this kind of stuff like this ammunition, if you will, Right. To be able to go forward and say, no, look, I want to show you <laughs> these kind of example. He says this, but does this exactly. says this and does this. And it's not just once or twice. It's a pattern of action. Years right? so in the if, making. 100 percent. So if you are concerned about about books getting banned in your local school district. Right. You need to know that Brian Fitzpatrick is someone who wants to take this national. Right. How do you know that? Because he's voted for it. <laughs> right? Exactly. And I have an ask for your listeners as well. It's something that we at Invisible yeah. have just started taking on and it's going to be a project for the next year. And it has to do with when you are reading local media or national media for that matter, and you see a reporter reflexively call Brian Fitzpatrick a moderate or refer to him as bipartisan, I want to encourage you to politely but firmly send a tweet back to them, send an email back to them and say, I am taking issue with your depiction of Brian Fitzpatrick in this light. Provide them an example or two. You can use that article that was just in the beacon today that has some of those examples. The very fact that Brian Fitzpatrick voted twice for Jim Jordan and once for Mike Johnson shows that he is not a moderate or that he's willing to subsume his moderate talking points to this extremist MAGA leadership and let them know that and just tell them that you are watching and that you hope on their next article they will remedy it. Because one of the reasons that Brian Fitzpatrick has this reputation at this point is that it's almost like a self-catalyzing meme. Everybody refers to him that way, regardless of what he's done. And until they stop doing that, we have a longer road to hoe. (laughs) So that's why we have to go after the media on it. Not after them in a bad way, polite, but assertive. That's what I think. Like, if you want to think about this, and I really like the strategy, because if you think about this in the most generous possible way, in terms of say our local, like our local media, right? The generous possible way is we know that local newsrooms and even regional ones, right? Have been, have been decimated, right? Um, They've been, they've been gutted. And in many cases, they're taken over by these kind of like conglomerates or kind of national corporations that are worried about kind of their own bottom lines and not so much about the integrity of local reporting, right? I mean, we've had Chris Ullery on this show, for example, talking mm-hmm. about this. Cyril Michaleko has been on this show talking about this as a problem. And what we have to remember is that if you are, are a stressed journalist, <laughs> right, and um, you are trying to report on something, and this is part of your beat, 
right? Um, and then you're getting a whole bunch of kind of PR materials, nicely packaged, right? And nicely voiced. It is easy to take that verbatim, right? And I, you know, if you want to talk about a little bit, uh, you know, if you want to give you a little sharper in your criticism, you could call it stenographer media, right? But but it really, it's kind of saying, you know, if you're if you're an overworked journalist and things like this, it's just easier to default to what the norm is, right? To not kind of rustle the feathers. Part of what any journal, I shouldn't say anyone, the vast majority of journalists that I have met, right, especially at local newspapers or regional newspapers, want to do a good job reporting the news. Right. They are not ideological warriors for the most part. I'm not talking about the editorial staff. I'm talking about the journalists themselves. Right. And so planting a consistent bug in their ears to letting know that their story got it wrong. Right. That their story is perpetuating something like this has an has a chance at least to create that friction that they're going to kind of actually look at this a little bit more critically. And the way that that works best is when you have lots of people doing it. Yep. And the thing, too, is. If you've done it once, you have the template in your in your outbox. You can cut and paste yep. it for the next time you see it. it. It's requiring you to do effort one time and then like copy and paste. But we we really need this for this coming year. It's it is one of the tactics we have to pursue if we have a chance at taking him down because the, taking him down from an electoral standpoint because. He has a lot of money. He can bring in a lot of money. That's the very nature of this issue of him taking Mike Johnson on his no label, you know, talking about Mike Johnson's on his no labels call. He has a war chest. So what we need to do is work within our own allies to ensure they're not splitting their tickets and voting for him. Because I know that when I was citing numbers before, you're going to say, oh, if he lost, if he won by 35,000 and you're saying there's 24,000 split ticketers, that's not enough. What you have to remember is, you have to count those double because those 24,000 people, if you take them away from him and give it to his competitor, that is enough to win. So yes. we're not talking about having to win over Republicans to beat Brian Fitzpatrick. We only have to win Democrats, Democrats who voted for John Fetterman. 100%. And I think that, you know, this is also, I think, a little bit of a playbook for after these, you know, um, these municipal and school board elections that are coming up is like, you know, it's going to be a very quick pivot um, toward the 2024 um, kind of election cycle. Um, and, all you know, we've got this is a kind of, you know, uh, okay, priority one, kind of out of the box, uh, we need to educate all those voters that were just mobilized, right, to stand up for school board candidates, because they saw the decimation of their schools, and use that as that opportunity to kind of start reaching out to them and talking about what's happening with Fitzpatrick. 100%. Um, Can I tell you how fast this turnaround is going to be? Let's hear it. November 17th, seven days after, or excuse me, 10 days after the coming election. That's when we're facing the next government shutdown. Because if Mike Johnson and Brian Fitzpatrick and their party doesn't get their crap together, we are going to be in it. They want to pass 12 separate budget bills, which is the normal budgeting process. And usually they have a whole summer to put it together and have to pass it by September 30th. But they crapped away their whole summer and then had the speaker chaos. But they still have these bills they have to pass to fund the government. So either they will pass something called a continuing resolution or a CR that kicks the can down the road till either Christmas or April or whenever they decide, or the government shuts down. So we at Indivisible, we're, we have a little bit of planning in the works. We tend to have rapid response events when there are things like shutdowns. So 
keep your eyes on your emails in the the realm of November 15th to 17th, because I would imagine that we will have something if the shutdown is going to happen. But that is how fast we have to go from municipal election mode into paying attention to Congress once again, because look what they're going to do now. Unbelievable. Well, it just doesn't seem like it stops these days. Um, So I think this is um, just going to be the mode that we're going to be in until we can um, get to some sort of, I don't know, I mean, um, hopefully some sort of uh, sea change. Uh, I would I would like to see this. it's going to be a slog. I can feel it now. Right? I would too. You know what? I fall back on Mike, a Mike Moore story. I'm sure he's repeating someone else when he said this, but he talked about the idea of the chorus where like, you know, choruses sing and there are going to be notes that are longer than any one person can carry. And, you know, you can stop and take a breath as long as you join back in again, because the people around you will help carry the note while you step out. But like, it's going to take all of us. It's We'll take breaks where we can, but we just have to be persistent and stay on this because this isn't going away in our time. 100%. Well, Kirsten, I, uh, you know, I, I appreciate you coming on tonight um, so much and kind of walking us through this. Um, everybody, you got to check out her article, Representative Brian Fitzpatrick's support for the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, shows voters uh, who he really is. That is in this like fresh off the presses today <laughs> at the Bucks County Beacon, if you will, um, which is very, which is very awesome. Is there, uh, have you got any kind of plugs for kind of where you want to uh, uh, send people, um, place where people get more information, um, anything else you want to plug before we head out for the night? Uh, I would just say just check in with Indivisible Bucks. We are present on Facebook as Indivisible Bucks County. On Twitter, I refuse to call it X. We are Indivisible B-U-X. Also, if you are in our area, check out our friends over at Indivisible Lambertville New Hope because they do amazing work as well. And the last thing would be uh, if you are of a mind that you really want to work to help unseat Brian Fitzpatrick, check out Indivisible National's Unrepresentative 18 program. It highlights the 18 Republicans that are holding seats in Biden districts and the steps that you can take to help uh, help us get them out and replace them with allies who are Democrats and will help pursue the policy goals that we want to see moving forward. Kevin, thank you so much for the time tonight. It's always a delight to work with you. Oh, God. It's fantastic. It's fantastic to have you on, Kirsten. Um, And everybody, uh, thank you for kind of stopping in tonight, uh, kind of hopping in the chat. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, So just a a little programming note, everybody. Uh, Friday, I can just tell you right off the bat, since we're heading into uh, the weekend before the uh, school board and municipal elections, uh, we'll be focused on that um, on this weekend. Uh, Maybe check in with some folks in the community um, to find out what they're doing and um, where we're going to go. But I can't tell you how important it is going to be that people get out to vote on November 7th. Uh, if you have a a ballot, if you have a uh, kind of absentee ballot or you have, you know, that, make sure that you get that ballot in. There are drop boxes all over Bucks County. You can check out Bucks County elections to find out where to drop that off at this point. Um, if you are registered to vote and that, um, you know, <laughs> should get out there to vote um, on November 7th, it's going to be absolutely critical. I will be at the uh, at my polling place all day long as a judge of elections. And uh, I want to give a shout out to all those folks in the, uh, the Penridge School District in the uh, Bucks County School or the Central Bucks School District, uh, Palisades School District, uh, the Souderton School District, the Quakertown School District, who have been out there like uh, like 
I, I don't know how unfailingly, and it seems like with like an endless energy out there knocking doors um, to make sure that um, that people know how important these uh, these elections are coming up on November 7th. Um, Kirsten, thank you so much once again uh, for joining me tonight and uh, look forward to seeing what you got uh, on the flip side of the election. Right back um, at you. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. All right, everybody. This is Ken Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. You can check out all our stuff and help support us by going to patreon.com slash today. Talk to you soon, everybody. See ya!